and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We are walking through our series uh, called Control, Alt, Delete, Reboot Your Life. And uh, we started off on Ash Wednesday talking about righteousness. And, and we, we get this series from uh, Concordia Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. It's a large Lutheran church, and they're able to produce resources like this. So they got this, and they've got slides with sermon and sermon notes. And it's, it, I looked at the series and went, that looks fantastic, because we just don't have the resources to do this here, right? And so I used the resources for Ash Wednesday, and it went, it went great. It went great. And then last Sunday was about a marriage. And I looked at the resources there, and they, they were okay. But I was able to use some of them, you know, and make it work. And then I looked at the resources for this week. They were horrible. I'm sorry. I'm like, I can't do this. They're not very good at all. What, what can I talk about? And I looked at the story that, that Bev read for us. It's a story about David and his son Absalom. And they have a family conflict. And it gets so bad, it turns into a civil war. And as you read the whole story, you begin to think, this was entirely avoidable. This should never happen. Conflict resolution is it's hard. It, it's really hard. So I, I do uh, premarital counseling. And in this premarital counseling, I had this uh, inventory called Prepare and Enrich. And it measures different aspects of a relationship. So it talks about financial management and communication and uh, family of origin and um, oh, uh, common interests and conflict resolution. Of all those topics, guess which couples score the lowest on every single time? Conflict resolution. Because it's hard. It's really hard. One reason it's hard is because we have different ways of resolving conflict. Ways that we learned when we were growing up. And you might relate to some of these ways, right? Uh, one way is the there we go. The avoider. Conflict comes up and this person just goes, uh-uh. I'm not going to do it, right? I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to just walk away, just walk away, right? And, and it looks like they're really good at dealing with conflict, but they're not. They're just good at avoiding it. And what happens is the avoider, it just grows and grows and grows and festers inside of them. And they're not sure what to deal with it. And sometimes they feel guilty because they're angry. And then it gets worse because they're angry that they're angry, but they don't know how to express anger, so they just, they just kind of stuff it. Down, just stuff it some more. Just go stuff some more. Right? It's the avoider. A different version of the avoider? The sulker. What's wrong? I'm fine. Nothing. Are you sure? Because you look kind of upset. I'm fine. Really? Because you look fine. I'm just leave me alone, right? You know, they're, they're not avoiding, but they're not telling you what's going on. They're just going to sulk about it. They want you to feel bad, that they feel bad, but they're not going to tell you about it because that would bring conflict, and they're not sure how to deal with that, so they'll just sulk, right? The sulker. Another version of the sulker is the martyr, right? They won't deal with the conflict either, but they'll make you feel really bad that they feel bad, right? 
the martyr will say stuff like, no one cares about all the hard work I do around here. Nobody cares. Right? The martyr. Mother-in-laws make great martyrs. <laughs> Not my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law is practically perfect in every way. <laughs> May potentially download these sermons on our website or through our iTunes podcast. So I'm talking about other people's mother-in-laws. They, they might do this way, you know. And you ask them, hey, how are you feeling? And the martyr says, you know, I'd be feeling fine if I had feeling in my hands, but I don't because I worked them to the bone. <laughs> and then there's the exploder. What do you think you're doing? Right? You've heard those? I had an exploder growing up. I know the exploders. Sometimes the avoider turns into an exploder. Those are the dangerous ones because you don't know when and where it's coming. It's like, and you're like, whoa, you start running for cover, right? But the exploder just deals with conflict. And have you ever had a situation of watching an exploder marry an exploder? And they're, they, I mean, they'll argue in public, right? You're going, oh my goodness. And you, you swear they're getting a divorce. You're like, oh, this marriage is in crisis. They're in trouble. And three days later, it's like they're on their honeymoon. And if you know them well enough, you're like, wow, I, I'm, I'm surprised. You guys are, seem like you're doing great. I thought you were getting a divorce. And they're like, oh, yeah, three days ago we were. But we're fine now. We're great. <laughs> they're, they're, they're like this all the time. But usually what happens is an exploder marries an avoider. That's usually what happens. And there's a conflict. There's an issue. And the exploder loses it. Because this is how you deal with stuff. You get it all out on the table, and you deal with it. And the avoider doesn't want to deal with it. The avoider doesn't want to call in a conflict resolution person. The avoider wants to call in an exorcist. Because it looks like this guy's head is spinning around, right? And they're just like retreating, like, oh, this is danger, 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 right? But the avoider, or the exploder, after he or she explodes, feels great. That person's like, oh man, I feel so much better. I got this off my chest. Isn't our things great? And everyone around them is just devastated. <laughs> the avoider is still hiding in the corner. The sulker is like really fine. And the martyr just is just looking at their hands, shaking their head. Right? There's devastation everywhere. And then there's the litigator. This person is always right. This person has an answer for everything. And if you ask this person, have you ever lost an argument in your home, they will, as humbly as they possibly can, say, no, I've never lost an argument in my home. Why? Because litigators often marry exploders, martyrs, sulkers, or avoiders. They rarely marry another litigator because they don't ever want to lose. So they'll marry somebody else. And in their minds, when they're done, they've won. I've won the argument because the other person couldn't come up with a decent argument. I've won. But here's the hard truth. You can win conflicts at work. You can. You can win conflicts at school. Nobody wins conflicts in the home. 
nobody wins. Because even when you win, family loses. Even when the litigator wins and has proven his or her point, everyone else is thinking, that person does not care to listen at all. And I've lost. As a family, we've lost. So, how do we handle conflict? What's a great way of improving a relationship so that when families or when you go through conflict with you, your spouse, your kids, whatever, you can say, you know what, we're, we're together in this. We can get through this. How do you do that? I'm going to share some, some tough words with you. And they're tough because it's conflict, and, and nobody wants to, to lose at conflict. We all want to kind of win the conflict, but these will be some hard words I'm going to share with you. They come from the book of James, and it's um, some learnings I gained from Pastor Andy Stanley. James chapter 4 says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your own desires within you? Is that great? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Doesn't it come from you not getting what you want? So when I do premarital counseling, I start with a, a problem, right? And I say, whose problem is it? Whose problem is it? Because if it was the other person's problem, they would actually change their behavior. But they're not changing their behaviors, so it's obviously not their problem. It must be your problem. Let me give you a real easy example. Let's say he will not put the toilet seat down. Right? And men put the toilet seat down because I've done this before and gone to the bathroom in the middle of the night and realized why you put the toilet seat down. Because if you can't see it in the middle of the night, it's really uncomfortable. <laughs> So just put the seat down, okay? It's, it's just messy. Let's say he won't put the seat down. And you say, why won't you put the seat down? Don't you know that's disgusting? It's like, oh. Well, whose problem is it? It's your problem. You can't probably change his behavior. key for conflict resolution is saying, you know what? There's a problem here. And part of the problem is me. Imagine if, if in every fight you were able to pause and say, you know what your problem is? Your problem is I'm not getting what I want. <laughs> That's your problem. You know what the issue here is, kids? The issue here is, I'm not getting what I want. That's the issue. And when that happens, what you're doing is you're owning a little bit of the problem. You're saying, part of the issue here is me. It may be just a really small part. It's entirely possible most of the issue is you. But, Part of the problem here is me. I'm, I'm not getting what I want. 
And that's part of the problem here. And when that happens, it takes the, the level, the temperature of the conflict, and it takes it from here, and it lowers it all the way down here. Every single time. Because it changes our attitude, it changes our words. It changes things from, you need to, and you really should, and why don't you, to, how can we? I would like it if, how can I help with this issue? It changes everything. But it's hard. It's super, super hard. Because as soon as you admit that you're part of the problem, it totally ruins your leverage. It totally takes it away. It's like gone. It's gone. Once you say or admit you're part of the problem, you can't win the argument. You can't win the conflict. But my friends, you weren't going to win it anyway. <laughs> because there's no winners. There are no winners when families fight. And so why not start off with a crazy idea and say, you know what? I'm part of the problem. Oh, you are too, but, <laughs> but I'm part of the problem. And what are we going to do about it now? James continues. He says this. You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet. You cannot have what you want. And here's the deeper issue. Most of us have conflicts all the time. And most of our conflicts simply aren't a big deal. Right? The guy cuts you off on the interstate. You, you give him a, a gesture indicating that he truly is number one. And, and he speeds off and moves on. And, and you're fine. Right? And you're just like, yeah, okay, done. It's over. Most conflicts that we have, they're, they're, just, they're small and they don't matter. But the ones at the home, they, they, they matter. Some conflicts, they, they really cut deep. The, the betrayals, the lies, deep hurts. And the deeper the hurt, the more extreme our reaction in dealing with it. So if you're a voider, you're really a void. If you're an exploder, you're really going to blow. And if you're a litigator, you spend, you're up all night thinking of your, your arguments, right? The deeper the hurt, the more extreme our reaction. And here's why some conflicts hurt badly. Not all the time, but, but sometimes this is the reason. You've put that person with whom you're angry in the place of God. You're looking to that person for security, and he or she or they have failed. You're looking to that person for, for your deepest need of love, and he or she or they, they've let you down. You're finding your purpose in, in life in that job, or that child, or that relationship, and, and the job tank, the child doesn't call, and the relationship has floundered. And what happens is when we get really hurt, we put that person in the place of God. We say, I'm not getting what I want. And so what we do with our false gods when they fail is we'll kill them. <clears throat> not physically kill them. 
but with our words and our actions. We'll say, I am so angry with you, and I'm going to make sure you know it. Because you failed me. And I can't have you fail me. I can't have it. I can't stand it. So we'll kill that false god, and then we'll look for a new false god. My friends, whenever we place our sense of, our soul sense, our complete sense of identity and security and meaning in a person other than Jesus, we will always be disappointed. Because we're all sinners, and we let each other down. And we'll make that disappointment known in conflict. And we'll kill and slay with our words and actions and try to fix that person sometimes. I'm going to fix you so you can be a good false god for me, right? If I fix you, you'll function as a false god once again, and then everything will be fine. Or I've got to kill you and get a new false god. And once we realize that, that little smidgen of blame we've accepted at the very beginning, it gets bigger. So how do we fix this? And James gives us the answer. He says this. You do not have because you do not ask God. Do you know what God did? you know what God does? What God did to that, that husband, that wife, that kid, that, that close personal friend that you're so angry with? you know what God does to that person? forgives them. <laughs> and you too. And you too. Jesus Christ died and rose for that sinner and for you. Because he loves you that much. Jesus died and rose so that you might never be or feel unloved or insecure or even afraid and you don't have to fix that person to get the security uh, and love and peace that we all need. We all need that. Jesus gives it to you already. It's yours. And once we, we've grasped that, and my friends, we, grasp it, we have to grasp it over and over and over again. It takes the temperature from here way down here. Because now I don't have to fix you. Now I'm just trying to serve you. Because I don't need the love I need from you. I get that from God already and I can just love you. I don't have to be secure because of our relationship. I'm secure in Christ already and now I can just serve you. And so many times when we pray, we're asking God to give us what we need. I'm sorry, we're not asking God to give us what we need. We're asking God to fix our false God so that false God will give us what we need. You know? Oh Lord, please help me win the lottery and I will tithe 20%. God doesn't want to fix your false God. He wants to give you more of himself. And by his strength, you can share that love and forgiveness and presence and grace and strength 
Jesus with those around you. And so, will admitting that you're part of the problem because you aren't getting what you want fix all of your conflicts? No, it won't. Will putting your complete heart and faith and trust in Jesus eliminate all strife in your life? It will not. Just ask Jesus, who faced a lot of conflict and strife in his life. But it helps. It helps lower the intensity of your conflicts. And even better, it provides a hope and an answer within them. And it puts all the sinners on the same common ground, which is huge. That you are, you are forgiven and redeemed by a gracious Savior. We all are. That's a great place to start. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have reconciled us to yourself. Thank you, Jesus, that you took our sin and you absorbed it. Lord, you, you in, in essence, you said, you know what? I'm the problem. And I'll take your sin to the cross and I'll pay for that problem. So that we might know that we are loved and forgiven and free and secure. Lord Jesus, may we know that every day. And not just in our head, but in our hearts as well. So that we walk securely in it. Uh, through all joys, <laughs> through all triumphs, and Lord, by your strength, through all conflicts. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord for life everlasting. Amen. Stand at six.